0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show You know, I'm lucky that I'm old enough, really, to have been a listener of radio programs Before television took over as our main source of entertainment Hmm, maybe I better think that observation over just, no, 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 let it stand, let it stand. I remember as a kid at the tender age of about five, a faking feeling too sick to go to school when in reality all I wanted to do was stay home with my mom and listen to The Happy Gang with Bert Pearl and wait for that moment when the gang would shout, here comes Louie with the joke pot. And of course, in the evening, we'd all gather around that big piece of furniture, the radio, and watch as the vacuum tubes started dimly growing and growing to a steady glow. And then we'd await our favorite shows, which for our family included the Jack Benny show. How this guy played the role of a skinflint, when in fact he was a very generous man too. And to many people, he was firmly in denial of getting old, always admitting his age was 39. How about some of his other trademarks? Well, he billed himself as the original Old Blue Eyes. And, of course, his inept violin playing. Actually, you know, he was pretty good. Jack Benny was a master of the slow burn and was known for comic timing and the ability to cause laughter with a single expression, such as his signature, exasperated, well. As a matter of fact, we're in for a real treat tonight because you're going to hear him deliver one of his most famous lines when he's being robbed, but... Don't let me spoil it for you. Let's go back to 1948 for the episode Jack Wants to Borrow Bing Cigar.
2: The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, as most of you know, last week Jack Benny visited the Ronald Coleman's and he persuaded Ronnie to lend him his Academy Award Oscar. As Jack left the Coleman house, the following incident happened. Gee, it was awfully
3: nice of Ronnie to let me take his Oscar home so I could show it to Rochester. Hmm, it sure is dark tonight. No moon. Oh well. Hey, put. Foot. Huh? You got a match? Yes. Yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. Mister, put down that gun. Shut up. I said this is a stick-up. Now, come on. Your money or your life. (laughs)
2: Look,
4: bud. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, mister. Come on. Give me your wallet and I'll let you have it. All right, mister. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Here's my wallet. Good.
4: And I'll take that package you're carrying, too.
3: This pa- this package? But it isn't mine. Belongs to Ronald Coleman. He wanted it. Pipe
4: down and give it to me or I'll drill you. All
3: right. All right. Don't drill me. Here it is.
4: I'll lay down on the sidewalk and count to a 100. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happened Sunday night. As we look in on Jack now, it's the following morning. Mary, I thought of a million different things. I don't know what to do.
5: Oh, Jack, stop pacing the floor and sit down. You're making a nervous wreck of yourself.
3: He was like that all night, Miss Livingston, never slept away. What am I going to do? How can I ever explain this to Ronnie?
5: Jack, you've got to control yourself or you'll have a breakdown. Now, why don't you have some breakfast? No, Mary,
3: I couldn't eat a thing. I don't care if I never eat again.
2: He hasn't been this upset since Peter Barrett got married.
3: (laughs) I'm at my wit's end. I can't tell Ronnie his Oscar was stolen and never speak to me again. I can't tell the police about the holder because then it'll get in the papers. I don't know. What in the world can I do?
5: Well, Why don't you kill yourself?
3: Say, that's not a... Oh, stop! <laughs> I'm not in the mood for jokes. There must be some way I can get that Oscar back.
5: Well, why don't you put an ad in the Beverly Hills paper and offer a reward?
3: No, Mary, a reward would just be a waste of time. Who'd return it for what I'd offer? LAUGHTER
4: Mr. Benny, if it'll get you out of this mess, why don't you make the reward substantial? Give her a thousand (laughs) dollars.
6: Well, we're back to killing yourself.
5: (laughs) Yeah,
3: there must be some other way out. Seems impossible that I should be held up right in front of my own house.
5: You know, you still haven't told me what happened. I don't know any of the details yet.
3: You, You don't? Well, Mary, this is exactly what happened. As I was leaving Ronnie's house, he loaned me his Oscar so I could show it to Rochester. I was walking home carrying the Oscar under my arm when a sinister-looking man stepped out. Hey, Bud. Bud. Huh? You got a match? Yes, I have one right here. You don't make a move. This is a stick-up. A stick-up? Put down that gun or I'll crash you to within an inch of your life! <laughs>
4: I say. No, 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 just a second, mister. Don't you come
3: any closer. You think you can scare me with a gun? Well, I'll break your arm.
4: Look, mister, I didn't want to do this, but I had to. I had to get money for my wife and children.
3: Well, you didn't have to pull a gun on me if you wanted money. All you had to do was ask. (laughs) I'm going to take that gun away from you, and you'll see that. Look,
4: I'm warning you, don't you come any closer. All right, you ask for it. Take that. Oh, yeah? Well, you take that. And that.
5: Uh, Jack, what were you doing to the crook when you said, take that and that?
3: He was handing him his wallet and the Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) I was not. Mary, while I was beating him up, I dropped the Oscar. He picked it up and ran off down the street. Honestly, I was never so... Oh, who can that be? I don't want to see anyone today.
5: Oh, calm down, Jack. I'll go to the door. Gee, I feel so sorry for poor Jack. He's trying so hard to be brave. But I know he's been crying. Mascara's running. (laughs) I hope he get out of this mess. Oh, hello, Don. Hello,
2: Mary. Where's Jack? I've got something very important to tell him.
5: Well, Don, this isn't a good time to talk to him. He's very upset. Suppose you tell me what it is.
2: Well, it's about the quartet. They won't be able to appear on the program Sunday. Why not? Well, Mary, you may not believe this, but all the members of the quartet became fathers this morning.
5: Don, Don, you mean that each one of the four singers had a baby?
2: All except the baritone, he had twins. No. Yes, but, sweetheart, they had five of the cutest babies you ever saw. And, Mary, you'll never guess what they've named them. What? L.S., M.F., and Barbara. Barbara? It was a girl.
5: Well, that's (laughs) logical. Look, Don, I'll go in and tell Jack all about
2: it. Okay, Mary, thanks a lot. Goodbye.
5: Bye. Imagine, all the singers in the quartet having babies the same day. That's what you call close harmony. <laughs> oh, brother, bag my eyes and call me Fred Allen. <laughs>
3: what took you so long, Mary? Who was it? Oh, it
5: was Don. He said the quartet won't be on the broadcast Sunday.
3: Oh, fine. Everything happens
5: to me. Well, they couldn't help it, Jack. Their wives all had babies the same day. And you'll never guess what the baritone's wife had.
3: Unless it's an Oscar, I'm not interested.
5: She had twins. But, Jack, what are you going to do about a quartet for the broadcast?
3: I don't know. A fine time for them to have children. Why couldn't they have transcribed them for release at a more convenient
6: time? <laughs> anyway, I got
3: enough to worry about without the quartet.
4: Say, hey, boss, I've got a great idea. What? Some friends of mine are making a personal appearance here in town, and maybe they'd come over and help you out.
3: Who are they, Rochester?
4: The Inkspot.
5: The ink spots. Oh, they would be wonderful. Do you think they do it right, Chester?
4: Sure, I'll call and have them here in a few minutes.
3: Good, use the phone in the hall, Yes, you? sir. I better call them right away, so they can...
4: Mm, better answer the door first. Hello, Chester. Is the master of the metropolis at home? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in, Mr. Harris. You'll find him in the library. But he's feeling mighty low. Well, that's a good thing I came over. I'll cheer him up. I'll go in there and throw some of that Harris sunshine on him and bring back the bloom to those withered old cheeks. <laughs> See you later, Rock. Oh, hiya, Libby. You dreamed out.
5: Hello,
4: Phil. Hiya, Jackson. Hello, hello. Hey, Jackson, did you hear the one about the two sparrows who were arguing on the pump and one of them kept flying off the handle? Ha 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 ha. Hmm, looks like the smog is moving in on that Harris
5: sunshine.
4: Look, Phil, I'm in no mood for jokes.
5: Well, that's right, Phil. But Jack's feeling pretty bad. On the way home last night, he was held up.
4: Well, that's not to be ashamed of. I've been held up many times on my way home. (laughs) Phil, I was robbed.
3: (laughs) Now, what did you come over here for?
4: Yeah, look, Jackson... I'm figuring on buying a small ranch, and I got most of the dough, but I need a little more to swing the deal, and I was kind of wondering if you'd lend me uh,
3: $10,000. Mary, tell him I'm not at home, will
4: you? <laughs> oh, wait a minute, Jackson. I don't like asking you, but I went to the bank, and they turned me down. Now, if you turn me down, too, well, well, I'll, well I'll just have to go to Alice. Well, Phil, I'd like to help you Now, wait a minute, Jackson I ain't asking you to give me nothing We'll make it a regular business deal Like when you loaned me money before I'll sign papers for the loan Pay you interest and everything
3: Well, are you... Are you willing to put up security?
4: Yeah, but not like last time We missed the kids
6: (laughs) All
3: right, Phil I'll have my business manager draw up the papers. Excuse me for interrupting, boss, but Mr. Ronald Coleman called. Oh, no. Oh, yes. (laughs) He said he's having guests for dinner and
4: wants you to return his Oscar immediately.
5: Phil, you better go get the money from Alice.
3: (laughs) Now, Ronnie wants his Oscar back. This is the last straw. Mary, you know what I'm going to do?
5: Oh, not now, Jack. A gun is so noisy and I've got a splitting headache. I don't
3: mean that. I'm going to check a list of all the people who ever won Oscars and maybe borrow one of them so I can give it to Ronnie till I get his back.
5: Hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Let's see now. Last year, the Oscars won by Frederick Marsh and Livy de Havilland.
3: Well, that won't help. Freddie's out of town, and Olivia hasn't talked to me since I put too much starch in her doilies. (laughs) Who else is there? Well, Ray Milan won an Oscar.
6: (sighs) Ah, what a picture. (laughs)
5: Yeah, and so did Joan Crawford and Loretta Young and Bing Crosby and, uh... Hey,
3: that's it, Mary. He's the one, Bing Crosby. I did him a big favor. I was on a show a couple of weeks ago, and it isn't easy to be on his show.
6: The needle scratches.
3: (laughs) I'm going over to see Bing right away and ask him to lend me his Oscar.
5: Okay, Jack, I'll drive you there. I have my car right outside.
3: Good, good. Now, who can that be? I'll give boss.
4: Well, hello, gentlemen. Come right in. Hey, boss. boss. Yeah? It's the Ink Spot.
3: The Ink Spot.
6: <clears throat>
4: well, hello, fellas. Hello, hello Mr. Banning.
6: Very glad
1: to meet you.
4: Now, uh, thank you. Now, gentlemen, as I told you over the phone, Mr. Benny's quartet can't be on the program next week, and he'd like to have you do a number for him on
3: Sunday's show. We'd He's very happy to.
4: Yes, very
3: happy. Good, good. Well, fellas, I was just leaving, so could I hear the number right now? Do you happen to know, if I didn't care... Do you
4: know Lovin' Blue? Oh, 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 yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, well, go ahead, boys,
3: uh... Let's have it.
2: If I didn't care,
4: would it be the same? Would my every prayer be
2: eaten and stemmed? With just your name, and would I be sure? That his long beyond compare. Would all
4: this be true if I didn't care
6: for you?
4: I didn't care. If I didn't care what i smoked, baby, I'd smoke any kind of a cigarette. But I do care, honey
6: child.
4: That's why I smoke Lucky Strikes. I smoke Lucky Strikes because, according to that Crosley poll, they're first choice, baby. You want to know something else on your child? They're so round, so firm, so full impact, so free and easy on the draw. That's right, baby. L.A.M.M.M.P.
2: <laughs> what a cigarette. L-F-M-L-P- True, yeah, I the, yeah, you you the yeah, yeah, For you product is
3: essential to success yeah. Fellas. Fellas! I was absolutely wonderful. I can't wait to you do it on the show. Thank, Thank you, me, Mr. Benny. Benny. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Rochester, uh... Rochester, come here a minute. Yes, uh, How uh, How much are they going to charge me to be on my show? Why, well, boss, they sent us a favor to me. They'd go on your show for nothing. For nothing? Why, well, I wouldn't think of it. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. Go in the kitchen and fix them some sandwiches.
6: <laughs> that I like about you, boss. When it comes to guest stars, bread is no object. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah. Come on, Mary. Drive me over to Crosby's. Mary, there's Bing Crosby's house over there on the left. Just pull into the driveway here. I can't,
5: Jack. There's a sign that says keep driveway clear. Truck's loading.
3: Hmm. Must be sending his money to the bank. (laughs) Well, toot the horn. We'll see if he's home. Oh, there's Bing in the upstairs window.
7: Hey, who's that honking in C-sharp? This is a pleasant surprise. Come up to the front door. I'll let you
5: in. Come on, Jack. Now remember, you just can't come right out and ask him to lend you his Oscar. Be a little subtle about it.
3: I know, I know. Watch these steps, Mary. Hello, Mary. Come right in. Oh,
7: Jack's with
6: you.
7: And I ran all the way.
6: <laughs>
7: what? Come in. Come on. Come on in. <laughs> Hope you folks will forgive the way I'm dressed. I wasn't expecting anybody. or I just sort of dressed up. That
3: shirt you've got on looks like Finian's rainbow. Especially with that pot on the end of it. Well, well, well. It's rumored you're pretty funny
7: on the air, too.
6: Mm. (laughs)
7: However, let's not discuss one's alleged talent in the entrance hall. First time you've been to this house, isn't it? any trouble finding it? No, no, no. I just followed my nose. Hope tried that once, wound up on Mount Wilson
6: <laughs> to shoot him down. <laughs> well,
7: well, it's rumored you're pretty funny on the air, too.
6: <laughs> yeah,
7: you're pretty fast with the old lad lib there, kid. All you have to do is hear it once, <laughs>
3: Yes, yeah. You know, Bing, we were just driving by and thought we'd drop in for a social visit.
6: Uh,
5: yeah, get to the point, but be subtle.
3: Oh, leave it to me. Uh, Bing, uh, how about showing us the house? You know, take us into the den. Or do you keep your Oscar in another room? There. Oscar? Oh, I got that in the trophy room.
7: Oh, good. good. If you insist on seeing the den,
3: I'd love to show it to you. No, 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 Come Bing. Come on, we run... right through this door. Gee, what a
5: beautiful den.
3: Well, we've been here long enough. Now, let's go
7: into the, uh, um,
5: let's
3: go to the trophy room.
5: Oh, Jack, look at that picture on the mantelpiece. Bing, are those your children?
3: Yeah, those are the four boys. The two in the end are twins. Twins? Well, that's a coincidence. <laughs> you know, this morning, my baritone wife had an
6: Oscar. Jack! I mean...
5: <laughs> Bing, it must be wonderful having four children. By the way, where's Dixie? Oh, she
7: had to go to the hospital. What? To visit her cousin.
5: <laughs> Bing,
7: uh, hmm? are you sure it isn't the Stork?
3: Positive. I got him in my trophy room.
6: <laughs>
3: well, let's go see him. You know, I've never seen a stuffed Oscar. I mean, Stork. <laughs> okay, just follow me here. Oh, would you excuse me a minute? Uh,
2: well, hello.
7: Well, hello. fancy hearing from you. Sure, I want you on my show. I've been expecting you for a long time. How long will it take you to get here? Two days. Huh? Well, good. I'll meet you at the train. Bye. So who was that? Rudolph Schmohopper. <laughs> it's going to take him a couple days to get here. Now,
3: where does he live? The dew did he? More people come from there, I hmm? mean... Now, Bing, uh, how about going to the trophy room? Oh, yes, the trophy room. Right down this hall. Here, Mary, I'll lift you over.
5: No, I'll just uh, walk around him.
3: Mm. Fine place for a horse to sleep. <laughs> I can't understand why... <laughs> Bing, I was stepping over him and he got up. <laughs>
7: Oh, don't worry, Jackson. He can't stand up long. (laughs) What? Yeah, I guess you're right. Poor old thing. Yeah, the veterinarian said he was going to die yesterday, but none of my horses finish on
5: time.
7: (laughs) Well, here we are, kids. Here's the trophy room.
5: Jack, look at all the heads mounted on the wall. Gosh, Bing, you sure must have done a lot of hunting.
3: Yeah, What's that big head over there?
5: Yours, you're looking in the mirror
3: <laughs> No, no, I mean the one with the brown eyes you know
5: the, That big head
3: over there That's a moose
5: well, What's a small one? A mouse No
7: Yes, sir, shot the mouse in Wyoming and caught the moose under the icebox You want to, to try hunting, Jackie
6: Very
3: gay Very gay That one to get anything
6: (laughs)
7: Besides the whole joint is not (laughs) it? Big big game hunting Very exciting Jackson You ought to try it Especially the big game
5: Bing Hmm. The only big game That Jack's interested in Is a buffalo And it has to be on a nickel (laughs) Mary He traps him With one finger In a telephone slot
3: Well it ain't easy sister Well Bing This is really A beautiful room I never saw some Wait a minute Say, Bing, why have you got that picture of Frank Sinatra on the wall? Kids throw darts at (laughs) (laughs)
6: him.
3: Oh, I thought he had chicken pox there. (laughs) Now, Bing,
2: let's see the trophies,
7: There they are, right over there in the cabinet. Oh, boy, look at all those cups.
5: Uh, what'd you get them for, Bing?
7: Well, I grabbed this uh, cup here for winning a golf tournament at Lakeside. I got this one for winning the Santa Anita Handicap. Saturday, the handicap uh, What horse? No horse, ran myself Paid six dollars
5: <laughs>
7: Photo finished Just got up the last jump Oh <laughs>
5: <laughs> Say, thing. What? What's that little tiny cup on the end? That's
7: not a cup, that's a thimble Four kids. Gotta do a lot of sewing
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah You yeah. see
7: this one here, Jack? I got this when I got married
5: When you got married? Yeah, it's
7: a Dixie cup <laughs>
5: Why do
3: I take jokes from Phil Harrison?
7: Phil's brother.
3: Well, look, Bing, the trophy that I'm most interested in is the Oscar you won for Going My Way.
5: Yes, we'd love to see that one, Bing. Oh, the
3: Oscar. Why did you say so? I'll get it for you.
7: Lenny, you in there?
5: Yeah, Pop, what do you want?
7: You'll have to give me my Oscar.
5: I can't, no, I'm taking a bath.
7: Oh, for heaven's sake, why don't you use something else for a stopper?
6: LAUGHTER
3: Bing, you let your son use the Oscar for a stopper in the bathtub? Yeah, it's always wet, too, when I want to crack nuts with it. It's murder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm really anxious to see the Oscar, Bing, but we can wait till your boy gets through with his bath. He'll be through in a minute.
5: Say, Bing, Hmm? while we're waiting, how about sing a song for us?
3: Oh, Mary, Bing doesn't want to sing. I do, too. (laughs) (laughs)
6: What would you like to hear, Mary?
5: (laughs) (laughs)
7: Any <laughs> well, I'll try out a new tune on you called "Haunted Heart." Clever number, I hope you like it. Watch your temple, Mister Harris. No racy temple, Palad, please. In the night, so we're apart. Ghost of you within my haunted heart. Ghost of you. Was beautiful Thanks Mary It's pretty good For a chorus Dennis Day gets a chorus And a half I get a chorus (laughs) (laughs) But if you want I'll sing a couple of more
6: Hey Pop Why don't you give up
3: (laughs) The other three Put you up to that Huh
5: Say Bing Look Your son brought out The Oscar And put it on the table
3: Yeah Gee doesn't that Oscar Look wonderful Now Bing I might as well Get right to the point I'm in an awful spot. I've just got to Borrow your Oscar
7: For a little while Well, look, Bub, if you need an Oscar, instead of going around
3: trying to borrow one, go make a picture. Win one. Hey, I never thought of that. But, Bing, it's too late for that. I need it now. You can't make a picture in one day. They took longer on the horn blows at midnight. (laughs) Yeah, I was sick a couple of days. It took almost a week to make it. But, Bing, look, I just want it for a few days. I'll give it right back to
7: you. Well, what's the deal,
3: Jack? Why do you need an Oscar all of a sudden? Well...
5: Jack, why don't you tell him the truth? Tell him what happened.
3: All right, I will. You see, Bing, I was over at Ronald Coleman's house, and he let me borrow his Oscar to take to my house to show Rochester. I was walking home carrying the Oscar, when suddenly a sinister-looking man stepped out of the head. Hey, Bud. Bud. Huh? You got a match? Yeah, I got one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. What? You
6: heard him. This is a stick-up.
3: Oh, two of you,
6: huh? (laughs) What, do you
3: think you're scaring me with those guns? I'll make you eat them and spit out the bullets. Hey, Pete,
4: this guy's pretty tough. We better call the rest of the gang. Yeah. (laughs) All right, mate, come on. We need help. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there are ten of you, eh? Well, it looks like I'll have to take off my coat. Now, look, mister, we don't want no trouble with you. We've got guns and hand grenades. So watch, you can't scare me. I'll take on your whole outfit.
3: And Bing, when the whole thing was over, I knocked out all their men but one.
1: Stay tuned for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for John Lund to star as yours truly, Johnny Dollar. John Lund played Johnny Dollar in the radio show from 1952 until 1954. Other radio credits include having the title role in the serial Chaplin Jim on the Blue Network in the early 40s. And on the silver screen, his first film was To Each His Own with Olivia de Havilland for Paramount in 1946. So now he stars as yours truly, Johnny Dollar in the episode... The James Clayton matter.
8: From Hollywood, it's time now for John Lund as Johnny Dollar. Hi, Chet Graham, Johnny. Who? Wake up, boy. Chet Graham, Claims,
9: New York Mutual. Oh, hi, Chet. How are things? Bad. Johnny, I have to make a little trip out to the coast on a phony claim. I'll be gone about four days, but I need someone to hold on my office while I'm away. Can you do it? That's not my line, Chet. You know that. Well, make it your line, Johnny. Somebody has to be here. Look, you can live in my apartment. You can use my tickets to wish you were here. You can even take my girl if you want. New York's swell this time of year. Can't you got anybody there? Oh, everybody's got the flu or busy or something. When do you want to leave for the coast? I'd like to get out on the noon plane today. Well, I can be down there by 11. Good. We'll probably miss each other, but just walk right in the office and make yourself at home. I'll call you from L.A. Have a good trip. Uh, By the way, what does your girl look like? Even your best dream was never that good. Just leave her phone number on your desk.
8: John Lund in the transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Here is truly Johnny Dollar. <laughs>
9: Defense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to New York Mutual Underwriters Limited, Rockefeller Center, New York City. Attention, Mr. Chester Graham, claims and adjustments. Dear Chet, you probably read some of this in the Los Angeles papers, but they don't have the whole story. Maybe they'll never get it all. I hope not. I found out part of it, stumbled into the rest of it, and I'm trying to forget all of it. The following is an accounting of expenditures during your four-day absence and my investigation of the James Clayton matter. Expense account item one, $14.35 transportation, Hartford to New York, where, as per your advice, I walked in your office, sat down, and made myself at home. And where, 15 minutes later, I had a caller.
10: Mr. Dollar, is it? That's right. The girl at the reception desk said Mr. Graham was out of town and that you were taking his place.
9: Yes. Please sit down.
10: Well, thank you, but I don't have time. I'm Miss Stebbins, Dr. James Clayton's nurse. He asked me to see you. I see. He gave me these policy numbers. He said that your company wrote these policies and that he'd like to talk to one of you.
9: Well, certainly, Miss Stebbins. He can come by any time. No,
10: you don't understand. Dr. Clayton can't get away from the office. We're terribly rushed, and I really should be getting back myself. He's there all alone.
9: Well, do you know what it's about, Miss
10: Stebbins? I... No. The doctor's been acting strangely all day. He had me cancel all of his outside calls, and then he sent me here. He said to explain that it was very urgent. I'm... I'm very concerned for him.
9: The tall, pale brunette girl in the crisply starched uniform and cape was certainly concerned about something. She bit her lip, forced out a wan, unprofessional smile, and started to cry. I pretended not to notice all this as we got on the elevator and went down into the street. However, ten minutes later, when we arrived at a suite of offices in the Pelroy building, I had to notice Dr. James Clayton. He met us at the door. Most of his costume was medically correct. White coat and carrying a stethoscope in one hand. But in the other, he brandished a thirty-two Ivor Johnson. The safety was off. Oh, oh, it's you.
10: Yes, Doctor. This is Mr. Dollar from the insurance office.
11: Claims investigation? Yeah? Oh, fine. Uh, Jane, this would be a good time for you to get some lunch, don't you think?
10: Well, Doctor, I have all of those lab reports to read. No, go ahead, Jane.
11: Like a good girl, I want to speak with Mr. Dollar alone. Of
10: course, Doctor, if you say so. Goodbye,
11: Mr. Dollar. Goodbye. Come in, Mr.
9: Dollar. Sit down.
11: Very fine girl, Jane. She's worked for me a long time. Very fine.
9: Do you always meet her at the door with firearms, Doctor?
11: Oh, oh, this. Well, all I can say is this is a ridiculous mess. My life's been threatened by a man who has definite homicidal tendencies. This, I
9: i, I don't even know how to load it. <laughs> I look foolish, I suppose. A threat on your life, doctor, comes under the heading of police business. I know that very well. And I would go directly to the
11: police, only... Well, it is a delicate matter. You seem dubious already. No, just curious. Go on, please. <clears throat> well, several months ago, I attended a patient named Florence Harmon... A thorough examination disclosed that her poor physical condition wasn't based on any organic disorder, but rather upon an emotional instability. Now, this, I finally discovered, was brought about by her marriage to an erratic, ruthless, ill-tempered man, Benjamin Harmon. I could only advise that she divorce him immediately.
9: Well, that's somewhat extreme, Doctor. Are you always certain
11: of advice like that? In this case, there's no other answer. I approached Mr. Harmon on the subject last night at his home, I explained that Mrs. Harmon's health, her very life, is in jeopardy. More is involved here than keeping intact a union which has nothing
9: but legality as a binding force. I see. But uh, Mr. Harmon doesn't care for semantics, huh? Uh, He attacked me. If it hadn't been for
11: the assistance of Mrs. Harmon and a servant, he might have choked me to death. When I left, he threatened me. Then you should have called the police. Yes, yes, I thought of that. But look, if if you approached Harmon in the right manner, Dollar, he might discard his ideas of violence. Well,
9: you're the expert on homicidal tendencies, but the best thing I can see for you is to prefer assault charges and have him locked up. I know all that, but it's for Mrs. Harmon's sake.
11: Please understand, she's been through a shattering ordeal. Look, Mister Dollar, would you would you go see him and talk to him? If you think he means it really, then I'll call the police and prefer
9: charges against him. <music> The Harmon residence was in Westchester, a story and a half colonial with all the trimmings. There was a 51 Cadillac in the open garage and a 52 Ford station wagon in front of the house. Yes? This one didn't have a white coat or stethoscope, but he had a gun. What is it? Mr. Harmon? I'm Harmon. What do you want? Mr. Harmon, my name is Dollar. Dollar, huh?
6: Get out of my way! Oh! (laughs)
12: Here, Mr. Dollar. Drink this. Easy now. Oh. Take it, please. Oh, you had quite a blow. Try a little more. It should make you feel better. What was who? Oh, you you can bring suit against him, against us. You can do anything you want to, Mr. Dollar. He's just ungovernable. He could easily have killed you.
9: You, uh, Mrs.
12: Harmons? Yes.
9: Your husband think I was the ice oh, man? Oh, I don't
12: know what he thought. I I just heard him yell at you, and when I came to the door, you were lying there, and he'd taken the station wagon and left. Why, last night he even attacked my personal physician and threatened to kill him. I don't know what's gotten into him. You'd better sit down.
9: It's uh, getting better. Where'd he go?
12: Heaven only knows. Mad. That's what he is, Mr. Dollar. Mad. He's liable to do anything. I'm I'm scared. I'm scared, Stiff. <laughs>
9: I called Dr. Clayton, who promised to notify the police. It was about a quarter to six when I got back to his office. A broad-shouldered man in a tweed suit was in the reception room. Hi. You Dr. Clayton? No. Hey, uh, don't I know you? I was thinking the same about you. Uh, wait, Dollar? Yeah. Tom Bassman, Central Division. Oh, sure. How are you, Tom? Fine. Hey, you must be the one. What? This Dr. Clayton called downtown about a threat. Said his insurance company had advised him to report it. That's right. Where is he? Well, he should be here, Tom. What's his nurse say? I rang the buzzer. No one around at all. What's this all about? A man named Benjamin Harmon's threatened the doctor's life. I met him myself. He's carrying a gun and he looked dangerous to me. I just came from his house. He's still there? No. I better phone in and get a pickup out on him. When the doctor shows up, I'll get a complaint. Oh, Hello.
10: Hello. I'm Mr. Dollar.
9: Hello, Miss Stevens.
10: Dr. Clayton here?
9: This is Sergeant Bassman. We want to see him ourselves.
10: You're a police officer?
9: That's right, miss.
10: I heard him talking to you on the phone. Is anything the matter?
8: Just want to see him.
10: Oh, goodness, he sent me out to pick up these things. He was here when I left. Oh. What? Perhaps he had an emergency.
9: Well, is there any way we can find out? Well,
10: if he had one, it would be right here on the pad, because I always have to know... That's funny. What? He's on an emergency call, 1213 Alessandro Street.
9: Can I see that, please? Uh Uh-huh. There's no name on this, Miss Stevens. Do you recognize the address at all?
10: No, I don't. The doctor just wouldn't take a random emergency call unless it were very unusual. This
9: might be unusual. Dollar, how bad off did you think Harmon was? Mad. Had a gun. Cracked me. Plenty rough. Mm -hmm. This is in the warehouse district. Think we better go down there? I think so. be that vacant lot over there. This one's 1240 and the rest belong to that warehouse. Yeah. Tom. Hmm? That car. M.D. on the license plate? Yeah. It might be Clayton's. Yeah. That's uh, Clayton's car, all right. He must be around here somewhere looking for
10: 1213.
9: Yeah. Well, let's have a peek. Tom, I see. Uh, he's had it. Is it Clayton? Yeah, that's him. Some emergency, this was. Yeah. <laughs>
8: John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
9: An hour of questioning in the neighborhood turned up two people who recalled hearing the shots. And one man remembered seeing a man who answered Benjamin Harmon's description loitering in the vicinity of a nearby bar earlier in the evening. Obviously, Dr. Clayton had been lured to his death by the murderer who had telephoned him, pretended to need a physician, waited till the victim appeared, and then shot him down. <laughs> Expense account item three, $11.65. A good dinner, three martinis, tip, and thinking at Toot Shores. After which, I strolled over to the Pelroy building. Expense account item four, $5 even. Bribed watchman.
11: Uh, I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Might lose my job over it. I appreciate it. But since you're from the insurance company, I guess you're all right. Just looking around is all. Too bad about the doctor. Nice fellow. Very what do you think you'll find? A policeman been here almost an hour ago, poking around. You
9: know if they found anything? Sure. Well, what?
11: Doctor's emergency kit. Heard him say he didn't take it uh, with him when he went out on that emergency. Well, yeah. don't be too long.
9: The business about the emergency kit started me thinking... I opened Clayton's file drawer and skimmed through every patient's name from Abbott to Zabrowski. He'd been a thorough man, and from all evidences operated an efficient medical office. However, he had no medical history in his files on Florence Harmon. There was nothing to indicate that she had ever been a patient of his. On the other hand, there was an entry a year before which showed that he had examined, treated, and discharged Benjamin Harmon. As a patient. I think these two developments supplied me with all of the curiosity I needed for a while. Nurse Jane Stebbins' home address was duly noted on Dr. Clayton's phone book. Oakdale House. Surprisingly enough, on Oak Street. Special rates for nurses. Room 210.
10: Oh, Mr. Dollar. How do you feel? Not too good, Mr. Dollar. I just got home a little while ago. They kept me down there pretty long. Do you want to come in?
9: Thanks. I don't want to keep you up.
10: It isn't much of a place, is it? I mean, I haven't straightened it up for days, it seems. (sighs) I'm sorry.
9: Things like this aren't easy. I know. Don't apologize to me.
10: Sit down, Mr. Dollar. Have they caught Mr. Harmon yet?
9: No, not yet. Uh, Miss Stebbins, you worked for Dr. Clayton a long while, didn't you?
10: Five years.
9: Then you should be able to tell me who he was going to marry.
10: Marry? Well, I didn't know. I have no idea.
9: He'd already made arrangements for a honeymoon. Honeymoon? Look. Reservations on the Ile de France for next April. I found them in his desk drawer. Confirmed to Dr. and Mrs. James Clayton. Well?
10: What difference does it make?
9: I don't know. Seems strange that you've been with him for such a long time and didn't know about this. I... Or did you? All right. What about Mrs. Harmon? Well... Look, Miss Stebbins, Things are wrong all the way down the line about your doctor's death. About what happened before it. It'll come out sooner or later.
10: (sighs) I suppose it will. It's awful to say this, Mr. Dollar. But Mrs. Harmon was the only one Dr. Clayton saw socially. And she, of course, is married.
9: Of course. And the good doctor advised her to get a divorce. He meet her when Mr. Harmon was a patient of his? Yes, that's right.
10: They became friendly.
9: But Mrs. Harmon was never a patient?
10: No, never. Just her husband.
9: What can you tell me about Mr. Harmon?
10: Well, really... All I know is he came in to see Dr. Clayton a few times, over a year ago, I guess. Then after after he saw what was happening between Mrs. Harmon and Dr. Clayton, he stopped coming in. I sent a copy of his medical history to another doctor.
9: But Dr. Clayton had been seeing Mrs. Harmon all this time.
10: It's awful to say this now, Mr. Dollar. Doctor's dead. I'm no moralist. We're all human. It's happened before. Married people have been attracted by others. I'm tired, Mr. Dollar.
9: Sure. Do you have any idea why I was called in today?
10: (sighs) Not first, I didn't. I... Well, of course, it happened. The police told me about Mr. Harmon's threats. But I don't understand what you're trying to do. The police want Mr. Harmon and... What does it all mean?
9: It means the wrong man was killed.
12: Please, Mr. Dollar.
9: I should have tumbled to it right away, but your husband fit the part too well.
12: Now, look here. I've been through quite enough today with the police looking for Ben. I don't have... You and
9: Clayton. I was going to be the star witness when the state tried him for shooting your husband. Whatever I said as a material witness would back up his self-defense plea and get him off on a justifiable homicide. Isn't that
12: it? I tell you, I
9: won't listen. And you and the doctor would sail to France and live happily ever after. What's the matter? Wouldn't your husband give you a divorce?
12: You won't listen. Go ahead. If you say it's that way, Mr. Dollar, and you know everything, I know you know everything, then it must be that yeah, way. Yeah,
9: only it got fouled up. Your husband did shoot your doctor boyfriend after all. Get out
12: of here. Get out of my house. You can't prove anything. You're right,
9: Mrs. Harmon. I can't prove anything. Not a thing. They catch your husband, they'll put him away for it. But you have something to live with for the rest of your life. Or maybe you didn't really love your doctor after all. Get
6: out! Get out! Leave me alone! Leave me alone!
9: What? Well, that's it, Sergeant. I want to know if people can really get by with this kind of thing in our courts of law. If and when you pick up Benjamin Harmon, will he have any kind of defense? Oh, we'll get him, Dollar. The others, I can't answer. What you just told me is really a thing. I don't see how any lawyer can do much for a guy who threatens another man's life and finally guns him down, do you? Supposing I could prove that Harmon was being set up as a patsy, that the doctor was really supposed to gun him down and plead self-defense? Up to the judge and the jury. When we get Harmon, he'll be arraigned and indicted on first-degree murder charges. Don't worry about that. And if it goes that far, it generally means you'll get the works. After all, we're pretty sure he shot and killed the doctor.
13: Hang up, Dollar. Huh?
9: You still there, Dollar? Hang up, or I'll blow your head off. Benjamin Harmon wasn't kidding. He was blazing mad. He had a gun, and I knew he wasn't afraid to use it. I was across the street when you left my place a little while ago. Fixing up another deal, were you? I don't know what you're talking about, Harmon. I followed you here so we could have this talk. And we're We're going to have it, you and I. You ought to put that gun away and let them take you. They'll shoot you down if they see you. Nobody's going to shoot me down, not yet. Now, Where's your office? Hartford, Connecticut. I mean here. Where do you practice here? Come on. I don't practice anything here. My office is in Hartford. This apartment belongs to a friend of mine. I'm standing in for him here while he's out of town. Where's his office? New York Mutual Liability. I mean his law office. I want to get down there and see how much... Hold on now. I'm not a lawyer. My friend's not a lawyer. We're insurance investigators. Where's the office? I tell you we... Listen. Clayton called
13: me this morning and said a lawyer named Dollar was on his way over to talk to me about divorcing Florence.
9: You hadn't started swinging that gun butt around. I'd have told you why I was there. I think I know why Clayton called you and told you that, but I don't... You and he were trying to pull something to take my wife away from me. I know that much. You're wrong, Harmon. I didn't know anything about that. Nobody takes my wife away from me. Now, that's the kind of temper that got you in all the trouble you're in. Look, you can shoot me here and I'll be number two. But they'll get you real easy here. You know I didn't kill Clayton? How do I know you didn't kill him? You threatened him. Half a dozen people heard you threaten him. I have an idea why you did it, and you might have been right. But murder for any reason... Shut up!
13: You're in on it somewhere. You know who did kill him. And you're going to clear me or I'll
9: whip it out of you, darling. Or we better bet on you. Why, you crazy. Dude.
6: All right.
9: Here. Try this. Go on. I'm tired of fooling with you. Now, get out of your feet. Well... You got one point in your favor. This gun hasn't been fired. Do you have another one?
6: No.
9: No. Here, take another drink. Mm. Now, you have a chance to talk to me right now. I don't Mm. think the police will be interested in much you have to say.
13: I wanted to kill Clayton, but I didn't. I didn't. Nobody will believe that. I know I've got a temper and I've tried to control it, but I didn't kill him. I'm not a I tell you. Of that. I want
9: facts. Where were you when Clayton was shot? How do I know? I didn't know what time he was shot. Say between five and six today. I was out getting mad. Pride. Where? Who saw you? No.
6: After, after we
13: met, I was so sore. I jumped in the car and went out and bought myself a jug. I know it sounds crazy, but I spent most of the time just sitting in the car down by the docks, just drinking and thinking and getting mad. I don't know what it was. I don't know when I walked over to the saloon, phoned Clayton. I told him I was on Alessandro Street and to come on down. I wanted to have a showdown. You
9: mean you wanted him to come down so you could kill him? Maybe I did have that on my mind. I don't know.
13: I waited an hour or so,
9: but he never showed up. When I
13: called back at his office, nobody answered. So I climbed back in my car, and that's where I heard about my being wanted for killing him. It was on the newscast. I didn't do it, dollar. I swear I didn't. The others I knew about, I didn't kill them. What others? Florence always had other friends. (laughs) Yes, I don't love her anymore, but I don't know. Maybe I hate her for all of it. When a man doesn't let part of his life walk away from him. I wouldn't
9: give her a divorce If I had let her get away with it It would have been too much for me to hold Even though Even though you didn't love her And you knew she didn't love you Yes That sounds stupid
13: Maybe I loved her once She loved me The way two people only love At certain times Hell no sense yet I'm not well darling Clayton gave me a year. Now the doctor, eighteen months. Finished anemia.
6: The two of them could have waited at least till I was dead, couldn't I? Couldn't they?
9: I? Oh. I found some sleeping pills in your medicine cabinet, and I fed him a couple with some hot cocoa. He dropped off to sleep in your bed while I made some phone calls confirming what he just told me. Expense account item five, taxi fare. Four dollars and five cents back to Oak Street, to Oakdale House. Special rates for nurses.
10: I thought you'd be back. I'm glad it's you. I think somehow you're the kind of man who understands things. I'll be a
9: good listener. Go ahead.
10: When I first started as his nurse, I fell in love with him. I guess it's an old story. Terribly old and corny. But then he met her. I heard him tell you all those lies today about treating Mrs. Harmon. I was out in the hall. Didn't have any idea exactly what he intended to do until I heard him call Mr. Harmon. Right after you left, he told him you were a lawyer.
9: He knew Harmon was upset enough to attack me.
10: Doctor was very good about knowing what people would do. I was here when Mr. Harmon called him tonight. Doctor took the call and wrote it down on the pad. I saw him put the gun inside his coat, and I knew he was going down there to shoot Mr. Harmon. So I followed him. He was walking around the dark looking for Mr. Harmon with the gun in his hand. I ran up to him and pleaded with him not to be crazy, that she wasn't worth it. Then he said he was going to kill me, too. He struggled, and the gun went off I don't know how many times. Then I came back here and pretended I'd been down at the drugstore.
9: I see. What's your first name? Jane. Jane, Dr. Clayton made all sorts of elaborate plans so he'd have a self-defense plea. But you don't have to go to all that trouble. You can prove self-defense. He had the gun. He was going to use it on you.
10: I beg your pardon.
9: I can help you, Jane. It'll go second degree or manslaughter, suspended. You didn't mean to shoot him, but he meant to shoot you.
10: No. You're nice. But I can't get off. What? I guess they haven't found her yet. I killed Mrs. Harmon an hour ago.
9: Expense account item six, same as one. Transportation back to Hartford. I didn't spend any other money, Chet. I didn't meet your girl, and I didn't see the musical. I didn't go anyplace. I just sat in your office and looked at the walls for the next three days. I'm leaving this where you'll see it when you come in tomorrow morning. Settle up and don't call me for a long time. A long, long time, if you call at all. Expense account total, $56.35. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs)
8: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars John Lund in the title role... ...and is written by E. Jack Newman with music by Eddie Dunstetter. John Lund can currently be seen in the Universal International picture... ...just across the street. Featured in tonight's cast were Victor Perrin, Virginia Gregg... ...Joseph Kearns, John McIntyre, and Jeanette Nolan. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Every Sunday, CBS Radio's Bob Trout... ...brings you a timely weekend roundup of world news... As a special eyewitness feature, an overseas CBS radio news correspondent flies in to give you an up-to-the-minute account of developments on his beat. Don't miss Bob Trout's World News Roundup Sundays on the CBS Radio Network.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night it's the Great Gildersleeve, followed by Suspense. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support.